everybody. everybody one and all welcome to another very exciting episode of the friends talking fantasy podcast my name is charles and with me today as always is my lifelong friend and co-host dylan i'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend charles i'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well dylan and as you could tell from the title of today's episode we're back with another recommendation series y'all just could not get enough of the recommendation <laughs> series from what we can gather. Yeah, you know, we we take we we test a lot of different um series ideas on this show. We love our series on, on the Friends Talking Fantasy podcast and and this is one that's always pretty solid, so we're happy to bring another variation to our recommendation series. Right? And what will that variation be today, Charles? Well, Dylan, that fan- that variation is going to be funny fantasy series and not like, you know, fantasy books with humor is how we're <laughs> phrasing it for the show. We, in the notes, we originally wrote funny fantasy and we're like, you know, it's not a great way to describe it. So <laughs> fantasy books with humor is our recommendation. You know, if you're like, you know, I'm I'm looking to chuckle a little bit, guffaw every once in a while in my fantasy. A few guffaws in there. A few guffaws. What would you recommend? And, well, you came to the right place. You're talking to the right people. You know, we, we enjoy when a fantasy series has elements of humor in it. You know, that's always a huge plus for me anyway you know even even in these like modern fantasy they can be kind of violent but sometimes you know the characters can be kind of funny the dialogue can be funny the introspective moments are often humorous and uh those are the things we're trying to highlight in today's episode for sure charles we can always go for a chortle or two Mm, 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 chortle indeed uh and uh, <laughs> <I'm> processing <laughs> well, that. Uh, where better while to? While Charles googles the word <laughs> "chortle" to get the, I know what that means. Uh, I'll say that you can't talk about humorous fantasy without talking about Terry Pratchett, right, Charles? Absolutely. If you were to, let's say, go on the Reddit's fantasy subreddit and just ask, "Hey, I want some." a funny fantasy, then I think you'd be pretty likely to see the most upvote comment be Terry Pratchett and in some manner or another. And I think, you know, Charles and I aren't experts by any stretch of imagination, really on anything, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but especially not on Terry Pratchett. And I think we've each read one novel, a different novel. Uh, I've read Mort. Uh, which is, and I've read The Color of Magic. Right. And so we've gotten a taste of Terry Pratchett's humor, and we can uh, definitely say, a, like, if you're looking for humorous fantasy, you're going to want to check out Terry Pratchett and see what you think. Yeah, you know, Terry Pratchett, he falls kind of a bit into satire. Um, he... He falls in a bit of this like um, he 
almost kind of whimsy funny every once in a while, almost kind of cheeky funny every once in a while. Uh, his ideas can be rather clever, and the way he goes about satirizing different tropes or cliches in the fantasy genre is pretty humorous, and some of the situations he thinks up are, are, are quite zany as well, and that's why I think he's captured such a um, devout fan base um, to this day online. Definitely, Charles. And the Discworld series, I guess is probably the best way to describe it, has a ton of books. I mean, Oh yeah, Pratchett. like 40 plus books. <laughs> yeah. Pratchett cranked these books out. I think 41 novels, if I'm correct. So I th- where we usually see people recommending to start is with Mort, which is the one I've read. It's an interesting little tale that has a, I guess it would be an anthropomorphized uh, death. <laughs> is that accurate? <laughs> Did I use that right? I know I was on myself for using a characterization of God. I always use that wrong. Anthropomorphized I, is like a making an animal look like a human being, attributing <laughs> human characteristics or behavior to a god, uh, an animal, or object. I think that's okay. Fair. Sure, I think I sure. Dropped that all right. I just think of like Disney characters when I think of anthrop- anthropomorphizing things. But yeah, uh, well, I, I'm gonna say I. St- Yeah, uh, to attribute human form or personality to things not human. I'm going to say we did it. And I'll say that there's an anthropomorphized death, uh, which is basically uh, like a Grim Reaper-ish type character, but a lot more funny than what you might typically get in a Grim Reaper type. He's kind of reflective i guess he tends to muse about his role as death and i think that would be the place i'd say to start based on what i've seen online yeah a lot of people like i have not read more but a lot of like when you like where to start reading terry pratchett people are like well the first book is color of magic that's not a bad place to start and that's where i started i tend to like to start with like um you know publication order but everyone's like well mort is one of his better works and is a very strong start as well so i think with either one you're in good hands i just remember from my read of color of magic there's this whole thing about like um one guy explaining to another guy the idea of insurance and it it was just a really kooky conversation so i mean it's the stuff that pratchett's writing is unlike anything else i've read in fantasy and if you really like that satirical uh like you know, dry, slightly whimsical kind of humor. There's no better example. Well said, Charles. And it's probably good for us to mention that the Discworld series doesn't move in a straight line in terms of like book one happens and book two is a sequel of book one, then book three happens. Oh, yeah. And we have 41 books, I guess. (laughs) It hops around and the story that you would get if you were to pick up, let's say, Mort or many of the other series or many of the other novels in this series would be its own unique story. So you don't have to start with publication order, although certainly a good way to go if that's what you're into. Yeah, yeah. And the Pratchett fans have different recommendations for where to start. There's all kind, many conversations on many different threads of 
the internet have talked about like reading orders for Terry Pratchett. I don't think you can go wrong anywhere, but um, definitely check those out. There's a lot of really dedicated fans out there to Terry Pratchett. He's got sure. a pretty committed fan base. One of the more committed oh, yeah. I've seen online anyway um, of fantasy authors. So well-deserved as well. And, you know, segueing a little bit away from Terry Pratchett, but not too far is a series that neither one of us have Red, but we've both seen the TV show, right? You've seen the TV show of Good Omens. I have indeed, Charles. Yeah, I enjoyed the series. You know, I um, it reminded me of another series that we'll bring up later in in, in the episode. Just so stick around for that. But um, nice it, tease. It, it it balances Terry Pratchett with another famous fantasy author that we haven't really talked about on the show, and that's Neil Gaiman. Yeah, we have not talked much about Neil Gaiman. I know you've read American Gods. Yeah, I've read American Gods. I've read a lot of the Sandman stuff. I've read Coraline. Um, I'm a big Neil Gaiman fan. He's almost like, I'm going to, I don't know, um, this is maybe overgeneralizing a little bit, but he's kind of like the, um, um, oh gosh, who's the guy that does like Edward Scissorhands and Nightmare Before Christmas and all those movies? Um Oh God! <laughs> uh, but he's he's like that guy. <laughs> I'm gonna make a lot of people. There's a lot of people screaming. Tim Burton. <laughs> yeah, thank you. There's people, all those people it's screaming like, at home. I'm sorry. <laughs> he's and this is not one for one, but he's kind of like the Tim Burton of fantasy, where it's like when his name's out there, you know, there's a unique style and vision that's almost kind of this little bit of gothic macabre little influence to him but it's also very uniquely Neil Gaiman and that's what I mean when I say he's like the um he's like a uh, the Tim Burton of <laughs> fantasy books you know so when you see that uh Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett coming together to make a fantasy book you're like wow I wonder what we're getting into here because Terry Pratchett's often more kinds of like silly whimsical satire and and neil gaiman is can often write very like intense cerebral kind of stuff so to see how they come together is really interesting and i can't speak for the book because i haven't read it but i do know that it's very popular and very well received and i can tell from the show that there is you know they both influence each other to a very successful degree it was fun to watch that balance of you have angels and demons who are pairing up together an unlikely duo who kind of just want to enjoy living in earth for a while and don't want to get caught up in the godly politics between angels and demons and it's funny to watch that play out you know it's there's these elements of like there's this greater you know heaven versus hell situation and then there's these two guys who are just trying to you know be chill so it's interesting to see how that how that plays out and um it's a really fun uh adventure story in a lot of ways the main characters have this kind of endearing relationship and there's a lot of funny narration moments where you're like how did they even think to phrase things that way you know it's really quite silly and it gets a little kooky at times but it's all within this realm of that satirical whimsical fantasy ah it's just a fun a fun little adventure. Right. I had fun watching that as well, Charles. The world the word that comes to mind for me when I think of good omens is irreverent. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. It 
it totally knows what its tone is and doubles and then triples and then quadruples down on this is what we are. And you got to appreciate something that's just unabashedly irreverent like Good Omens is. Yeah, they do a great job. And kudos to David Tennant and Michael Sheen for like knocking it out of the park with those roles. There's so much charm and charisma to their performances. It's like so well lived in for how I imagine a Terry Pratchett character to be, you know, that like overwhelming charisma and charm and wit um, while also being endearing. It's, it's a lot of fun. So I would I would definitely recommend the show to any fantasy fans out there. And uh, one of these days I'll pick up that book. It's on the list. <laughs> Our TBR is intimidatingly long at this point. Yes, Charles. I know. Every time we do a recommendation season, I'm like, man, that's another thing I got to add to the pile. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's tough. I don't know if we'll, we'll ever quite get through the entirety of our TBR, but uh, we'll do you never our say best. Never. That's right. I'll never say never, Charles. <laughs> yeah. I want to make sure to highlight a series that I, I really enjoy by author Nicholas Eames when it comes to fantasy that has a good sense of humor and that's Kings of the Wild uh, is the one that I've read. The whole thing is called the Band series, and that's Kings of the Wild and Bloody Rose. And uh, I haven't read Bloody Rose yet because of all those uh, trying to manage my TBR issues that we were talking about before, but I really want to. Uh, speaking to Kings of the Wild, uh, it's the story of a group of formerly great adventurers or like a D&D group uh, doesn't have any of those elements of actually playing D&D but just the kind of troop that you'd expect from a group of adventurers like a D&D group might look like and they're well past their primes at this point they've kind of moved on past their adventures and uh, then one of the members daughters gets uh, in a pretty tough situation where they feel like they've got to go save her. And uh, they end up in a situation where they're trying to get the band back together to yeah. save this member's daughter. And the, <laughs> the phrasing there is very intentional with getting the band back together because a lot of the humor of this book comes from not just the fact that they're kind of like past their prime at this point and not your typical adventures, but also that the whole thing uh, is basically paralleling uh, the uh, like 70s band scene, like the 70s yeah. music scene. And there's just tons of, it, it, it's kind of an interesting balance of it. it's like, it's subtext. You could if you're completely unfamiliar with the 70s music scene, and I'm not overly familiar, I think Charles would probably be more familiar than me. Yeah, I love the 70s music scene. I think you'd love this series, Charles. You pitched it, and I almost picked it. So anyway, you could be completely oblivious to all that and just enjoy this fantasy story for exactly a fantasy story and nothing beyond that. But the way that it weaves in all of these references to the music scene in the 1970s and just music in general uh, is just an absolute riot. And I, I had a great time reading it for both purposes of just a fantasy novel and uh, 
for all these references. Right. I first heard of this series when you pitched it on Friends Pitching Fantasy, and I almost chose it because it sounded so in my lane. You know, I love 70s rock and roll. I was a classic rock nerd in high school. So it very much um, piqued my interest. And then I have to say, if the series is anything like the author, also, it's been funny watching him like tweet and comment on stuff. He tweeted at us his Kings of the Wild playlist, and I got to listen right. to that. And that's such a like that's a, such a testament to his story. It's like he has like Mozart and Bach, and then he has Led Zeppelin and Rolling Stones all in the same playlist. So and I'm like, Final if that's the soundtrack, which is near and dear <laughs> to my heart, I think I was like, ro- I said something like Rolling Stones and Final Fantasy soundtrack together at last, <laughs> and I meant that. <laughs> I know, I know. So if his taste in music is anything like his taste in his in his writing style, you know, his writing preferences, then I would love to read the series. It sounds really exciting. And sometimes, you know, you lead a lot of these more intense fantasy series. A lot of the modern stuff is very dark and it it's just so appealing to crack into one of these more like fantasy books with humor or with style or just that are designed to be more fun for fun's sake, you know? And and that's the most appealing thing about it when I hear people talk about the series. It just sounds fun. Oh, it's so much fun, Charles. And it's very lovingly written. I think at at points I called it satire of the music scene, but I feel like satire kind of implies that there's some, like, desire to point out what's wrong with it or make a lot of fun of it. And I think that what I get from Nicholas Eames is just he's a big fan of these things and you can see him enjoying writing it and reveling in the inspiration that he drew from the 1970s music scene for Kings of the Wild and from what I hear, the 1980s music scene for Bloody Rose. So I I had an awesome time reading it and I can't say enough about how much I recommend this. And we have had these awesome interactions with uh, Nicholas Eames' author on Twitter. He seems super nice, so... Yeah. All yeah. Good yeah. Great recommendation, and and one you've made a couple times. So I'm excited to read that one as well. Throw it on the pile. <laughs> just need to yeah, have like yeah. an image of just a of just a pile of books, and then me just throwing another one on top of it. You know, like a mound of books. <laughs> That's what it feels like sometimes. But yeah, definitely looking forward to reading that one. Um, these next two, Dylan, are series that we've talked about a lot, and I think you do the most justice in talking about them. So why don't you kick us off with uh, the one of them <laughs> let's go to sure the one thing. give him the old well, one two <laughs> give him the one two and that's lies of Locke lamora is the one and i guess first law is the two <laughs> yeah. we've talked so much about these that i want to give space in this podcast for us to talk or in this episode for us to talk more about other stuff because our longtime fans know everything <laughs> but or know a lot <laughs> we saw right. read either of them but I'll say Lies of Locke Lamora is, that's by Scott Lynch. It's the first of the Gentleman Bastard sequence. I recommend all of it. It's got a pretty dark tone to it and an anti-hero protagonist. Uh, (laughs) Shout out to our anti-hero episode. (laughs) Shout out. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that it's not that the narration of it or like the story itself is that funny, but the characters and their dialogue is so witty and hilarious. I mean, I remember at times thinking like how the 
thing, I'm not complaining here, but it's almost unrealistic how every <laughs> character is so witty and funny in yeah. the lies of Locke Lamora and, and the rest of the Gentleman Bastard sequence. So that's what I got to say on that. If you love witty dialogue, you're going to love the lies of Locke Lamora series, uh, the Gentleman Bastard sequence. Um, next, f- first law, uh, I'm. I have to think one of Joe Abercrombie's biggest fans out there. <laughs> uh, and we're going to be talking about the First Law right. trilogy a lot more in just a short amount of weeks, as it's next on our Buddy Read lineup. Uh, so um, we'll have plenty of time there. And not to mention, it's come up so many times in our character series. Well deserved. It comes up a lot in our recommendation series, and that's because it fits so many so many niches in fantasy you know it's like the whole first law series is very much like so much great characterization so much great subversion so much great you know tropes even but i would say one of the things that shines for me the most in the first law trilogy is how fun it is to listen or read these characters inner monologues introspectives the descriptions of things come from this air of humor that is so in line with my own personal sense of humor that i i felt like he was writing this book for me a lot of times i'm like the the way he phrases things and says things and points out funny things and the thoughts that characters have and how they react to things it's so unique and so funny and so like engaging and it adds to the characterization of these characters and it's just like oh it's what makes the series so good and there's so many funny moments like there's moments that i remember it's been years since i've read the series and i remember so many things i remember once it was like someone was embarrassed or shocked or something and it was like his red was uh his face turned red like a slapped arse and i was like that's pretty funny I was like, yeah. I still, like, it's still in my brain it will live there forever it's just moments like that throughout for sure, Charles. I think what you're touching on there is, uh, while these this series is called grimdark a lot of times, and uh, people talk about how uh, it's so gritty and all these kind of things, Joe Abercrombie's voice has such a strong, dry humor to it, and that yes. comes through no matter what is going on in terms of the story. The narration is just... So, full of these like clever witticisms yes. uh, that make it so that no matter how dark it gets, I think this is part of what gets me through it more than anything. It's like, no matter how dark it gets, Abercrombie brings you back up by having that sense of humor that makes all of this bearable. And I, I think that it's such a huge part of what makes Abercrombie such an amazing writer and, and something that I think he doesn't, even though, of course, I think most people, if you say, like, Abercrombie's funny, right? They'd be like, if they've read it, they'd be like, oh, yeah, like, guy's got a good sense of humor. It's not something that people bring up as often as I think uh, he deserves to be praised for. So, And those idiosyncrasies of the characters, like you mentioned, Charles. Like, Logan is such an unforgettable character. It's such a funny internal monologue. So, Yeah, yeah. yeah. And sometimes when it's like, he's this brutal violent guy but then sometimes he gets these like fish out of water moments that are so funny it's just like i don't know for me that some of the best dry humor in all of fantasy is found in first law so if you're looking for a fantasy book with humor 
check out those books because they are they're excellent. Joe Abercrombie's voice is perfect with that kind of stuff. Yeah, no one no one else like him. And another author that has a pretty unique voice is Martha Wells, which comes through in her Murderbot diaries. Uh, there's the first novella, which is All Systems Red, and uh, it's got a, <laughs> this character named Murderbot, who is basically a killing machine, uh, pretty much literally, right? <laughs> I guess that's yeah. what a Murderbot is. Yeah. <laughs> and despite being programmed to be a killing machine, it's hacked its government module and basically just wants to chill out and watch like soap operas and other tv shows and stuff like that and it's a really interesting space opera but the whole thing is really centered around this character and the way that martha wells captures the voice of murderbot i think it, it's something I think I pitched on Friends Pitching before Charles and uh, <laughs> there's that there's some great quotes uh, from it. One that gets quoted all the time is I could have become a mass murderer after I hacked my governor module, but then I realized I could access the combined feed of entertainment channels carried on the company satellites. It had been well over 35,000 hours or so since then, with still not much murdering, but probably, I don't know, a little under 35,000 hours of movies, serials, books, plays, and music consumed as a heartless killing machine. I was a terrible failure. <laughs> and I, think I can relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Charles, you're not a great heartless killing machine. And I love television. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, Murderbot, I, what was appealing about it to me when you pitched it, I haven't read it, but the things that stuck out to me were like, it's funny, it's charming, it's different. And it's like a lighthearted, shorter read, too, which all those things were very appealing to me at the time. So um, if, if that kind of book sounds appealing to you, I'm like, pick it up now. Why not? Yeah. Well, oh. you, Charles. All right. Well, <laughs> it's on the... Because instead, I have to read like eight Joe Abercrombie books and 14 <laughs> Wheel of Time books. <laughs> I think we can find a way to sneak a novella in there, but uh, yes, there's a I tease for can. you. I'm good because <laughs> I'm gonna badger Charles behind the scene until behind the scenes until he says yes. So yep. we'll get there. We'll read it. I'm telling you, it's another. Just picture another book being thrown into a mound of books, and that's um, Murderbots. Um, one that I don't have to add to my uh, TBR list. One that I've read already. Yes. This is another kind of a deeper cut here. Um, this is called uh, Bridge of Birds. It's from a series called Master Lee and the Number 10 Ox by Barry Hugart. It's It first came across my my path and my travels just because someone rec- yeah, someone had recommended <laughs> it to me as like a um it's just like a really it was pitched as funny, first of all, and endearing. And also, it was just supposed to be like this really fun... It's a trilogy, but the first book, Bridge of Birds, can also be perceived as a standalone. 
as well. So I think, you know, that was kind of what drew me towards it. And then also the setting, it's in like a, it's inspired by like Chinese mythology. So it takes place in almost, almost like a mythical ancient um, China. And that kind of drew me to it as well. And it is full of humor. Like I, I would say if you like humor, that's kind of unique to like, you know, I feel like anime has like its own kind of endearing humor sometimes. And you know, like in ways that like Avatar can be funny sometimes or Dragon Ball can be funny sometimes. The same thing happens with Bridge of Birds. Like sometimes these characters, you're just like humorous in the situations they're in, the observations they have are so kooky and, and funny. And the narration, it's told in such a serious, like mythical storytelling way sometimes, but it'll go off about funny moments in the story that's happening like there's a character that can shape shift into anything and the main character is like on its back trying to keep it down and the whole narration is like he was just praying he didn't change into a porcupine a scorpion but thankfully he didn't do any of those things you know so it's like those kinds of funny moments and then like the stuff that happens is pretty kooky as well so i would say any like any anime fans anyone looking for like a fun more like mythical fable-y kind of storytelling kind of prose uh would should take a little voyage off the beaten path and uh and check out bridge of birds by barry hugard it's a charming read it's it's a pretty quick read and the characters of master lee and number 10 ox are so brilliant you know master lee he's kind of like a fallen from grace but still smart guy he's kind of like a master roshi where he's super talented but he's also kind of a recluse and he also has some like you know not great qualities to his character um but he's overall still pretty charming and wise and then number 10 ox he's just kind of like an innocent gentle giant type and so you can picture like this young gentle giant carrying this like cranky old master on his back and they go off on adventures, you know, and, and it's just fun. It's more of that like light spirited fantasy and well worth a read for anyone interested in in like a in like a more epic but humorous fantasy tale. Nailed it, Charles. Thank you. I think. It almost sounds like when you describe the characters, it's like a Lenny and George situation. It's like, pretty similar. That. Yeah, it's pretty similar, except, um, you know, number 10 Ox is um more just like, um, I don't know, he's just more kind of stoic and uh, down for whatever. <laughs> and and Master Lee is kind of like, a, he's very clever, he's very smart, and but uh, he can be a little bit mischievous too, so a little bit cheeky sometimes. And it's fun to watch the two of them together; they make a good pair. So, uh, they, but the, that that relationship is kind of close. There's you see a lot of those relationships sometimes. It's like the big ofy person and the small scrap, like um, the planner guy. You know, right? There's a lot of those in in storytelling, and this is just another fun example of that. Nice. Well. Uh... <laughs> You might hear me now in the background placing uh, Bridge of Birds onto the TBR because <laughs> I, I do have to check that out. And it's I'm excited. It's deserving of a read. You know, it's I don't a lot. Of, it comes up on like top ten lists every once in a while, but I don't really know of anyone else that's read it. So it's becoming more of a cult book more and more these days. But uh, yeah, it's worth. The I know read. you mentioned it in our 
We haven't released this episode. Yeah, you don't spoil it, but <laughs> we yeah. have talked about it just on an episode yeah. we never released. <laughs> yeah. Or have yet but, to release, I guess we could say. Yeah, but we'll open up those vaults one day. And That's let right. Those episodes breathe. Well, Charles, I know there's another series we wanted to talk about that's near and dear to your heart. So I'll let yes. you read the recommendation so, for this Thank one. you. That's quite the honor for this book. Um, So. You know, before I ever was a fantasy fan, I was a science fiction fan, and I have very—I know. Can you believe it? Shocking. And now, I now I just love both. And um, telling on I yourself, have, Charles. Yeah. And now I have these very fond memories of being in like middle school and high school, and you had like library class, and you had like independent reading or whatever. And this book is one that. I just had so much fun reading during that time frame. It's also one that I was alluding to when we were talking about Terry Pratchett of like, you know, Terry Pratchett and this series I'm going to talk about have a lot in common. And this is none other than the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Classic sci-fi romp. And it is just absolutely teeming with these insanely hilarious ideas, thoughts, uh, postulates like all kinds of kooky things are going on it's a satire of science fiction but it's also like a love letter to science fiction much like terry pratchett and his and his work in the fantasy world and just the wisdom that he imparts it is kind of wisdom in a way it's nonsensical but it's also like kind of satirical and witty at the same time and there's so many like beautiful moments that i can think of like you know, there's a, the, a very common one of like, we're all like the earth is doomed and all the dolphins are like flying into space. It's like, what do dolphins say to humanity as they're leaving earth? They say so long and thanks for all the fish. And it's like, of course, that's like something about that's just absolutely hilarious. And then like, I was just going through some old quotes that I have from the book. It's like the ships hung in the sky in as much the same way that bricks don't. It's like, it's like, well, what? Who even writes that? Funny, he intoned funerarily, how just when you think life can't possibly get any worse, it suddenly does. <laughs> and it's just a common mistake that people make when trying to design something completely foolproof is to underestimate the ingenuity of complete fools. It's like <laughs> this book is te- absolutely full to the brim, teeming with these funny, silly, ingenious lines. And I just remember being like my, you know, teenager brain reading this for the first time, like this man is brilliant. Of course, he's so crazy. And it's like these different way of thinking and of writing stories and expressing ideas. It was it's so much fun to read and I couldn't recommend it enough. And that's what we're here doing. <laughs> recommending but uh, uh, Charles are you feeling we have actually recommended it <laughs> recommended enough over here <laughs> um I mean I mean have you have you read Hitchhikers I I'm gonna admit to a cardinal sin here Charles oh boy <laughs> I've never read Hitchhikers wow I, I think you'd find it funny it it, it borders it on like this would. it borders on this silliness that I don't know how like it's not like the dry wittiness of like a Joe Abercrombie or a Liza Vlachimora, but it is clever enough in its silliness that I think you'd be on board with it. I was enjoying those quotes you're reading. I'm of course familiar with some of them just by being 
I guess, sci-fi adjacent in reading a lot of fantasy, the, you know, the, the so long and thanks for all the fish. I've always appreciated everything I've heard <laughs> from it. I, I, all those quotes you read definitely make me want to read it. It sounds oh like my gosh. fans yeah, the, of Terry the... Pratchett and all that would find themselves at home. Uh, if they haven't read Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah, the mind of Douglas Adams has to be wild, man. He's <laughs> He comes up with some amazing thing. And there's like the difference between like the the answer to the universe, the life, the universe and everything. And then the question, it, it's so funny. Like it's just, it's super, super funny. And, you know, there's a lot of popular lines like on Fantasy Threads. We were like, what's the funniest line in a book you've ever read? And like, there's some really common Hitchhiker's ones that, that come up all the time from later books, I think, where it's like God created the universe and everyone regarded it as a bad move or something like that. Like that one always comes out. Oh yeah. I've read that one. Um, (laughs) It's so funny, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, his books are full of that. I have like this one, like compendium as like, all of the Hitchhiker's Guide books in it, and it's like a massive paperback. It's like you know six inches tall, and uh, it, it sits proudly on my bookshelf. Um, they they're kooky and wild, but they're they're very unique. I found the quote in the beginning: "The universe was created." This has made a lot of people very angry and been widely regarded as a bad move. <laughs> I love that. Like yeah. it's brilliant. So yeah. it's brilliant and also nonsensical. Like that humor I've always loved. Like when you have to put thought into sounding stupid, it becomes brilliant in, in my mind. And like this Douglas Adams Hitchhiker's Guide world is full of that stuff. And it's, you know, he worked so hard to making this silly, stupid world and it's all the better for it. I think, it, yeah, I mean, it does make sense though. It's like if yeah, it's the not universe actually was never created. Stupid. Yeah. <laughs> If the universe is never created, then there then there wouldn't be people to get very angry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like it's got this kind of sense of I think people often like to complain about the state of the world and how bad things are. So it's like uh, it kind of points pokes fun at that. Like, uh, well, the alternative is no universe. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I know, I know, it's so brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Love it. I get some of that in King Killer sometimes where he goes out of his way to be like self-deprecating or kind of silly, but he puts a lot of thought and structure behind it when he, when he expresses it. Um, It's not as satirical and whimsical as um, Hitchhikers, but it, it does approach that humorous silliness every once in a while. You know, Patrick Rothfuss is not afraid to like get loose with his structure and bend things, but it's very thought out and built up when he does it and that's kind of the parallel i'm trying to draw here right i see i definitely see that i think rothfuss's books are definitely very funny and it's uh, i think it could have made it into this uh list but it's it's not one of the first things that comes to mind for me when i yeah think it has books, funny moments kinda, but in a book yeah. that big <laughs> it doesn't have enough funny moments for it to be considered like a and it, funny book yeah and it never feels like the point like yeah. or like not that it's the point it's not really Rothfuss's voice like like, too much yeah yeah like whereas Joe Abercrombie like his witticism is a huge part of his voice exactly. whereas Rothfuss he will go there and he does it successfully but it's not his main uh thing he's really exactly. more interested in like telling a beautiful phrase or something like that that may not always be silly or witty or 
funny. You know, it's just always meaningful, but not always humorous. Totally agree. And I mean, there's plenty of novels out there that have lots of funny moments when they're trying to. I mean, sure, all the best ones do. Yeah. I mean, I remember laughing at Harry Potter a lot too, but I wouldn't call that like a like a funny book either. You know, so like any book with good characters is going to have moments that that make us laugh. You know. Yeah. I mean. Think of all these great moments we get out of someone like Tyrion. While it's like, yeah, Tyrion's yeah. hilarious, but we didn't think that a Song of Ice and Fire really made sense. On the <laughs> and picture, uh, picture Gandalf going, "Fool of a Took, throw yourself in next time and rid us of your stupidity." It's like, <laughs> okay, that's funny, but it's, <laughs> it's not all about that, you know? No. <laughs> But these books here, I think, would all be great choices for people out there looking for funny books. I hope we've done a good job of of pointing out what makes each of them funny so that you can look through this list and decide on one that's appropriate for the, the kind of humor that you're looking for, because there's a lot on offer. Very well said, Dylan. And you know what? If we get just one chortle out of this from one of our <laughs> listeners it will be all worth it am i right <laughs> we got chortle out of me there charles so I don't know if that makes it worth it it always does dylan it always does oh charles it's oh. such a delight talking fancy with my friend dude you took the words right out of my mouth dude this was such a delight so much fun it, it's nice to talk about uh, the humorous side of fantasy and uh, thank you all for listening. If you liked what you heard today, if you like some of these recommendations, if you want to give them a try, if there's other series that you'd recommend that are, ha- are fantasy books uh, with humor, let us know on Twitter at the FTF Podcast with a number one at the end. You can also reach out to us on Facebook and Instagram at the FTF Podcast. You can shoot us an email at uh, the FTF Podcast at gmail.com. If you want to support the show and you just happen to be listening on Apple Podcasts, toss five stars to our podcast. Guys, there's so much opportunity to do good for us there. It's so easy. You just go to our account and you hit five stars. Leave your honest review. Let us know you love the show. <laughs> Leave your honest review, but also give us five stars. Yeah, I mean, if you don't, if you honestly don't think it should be five stars, send us an email and let us know, and let us earn that five stars. Like, don't That's ruin our lives by giving us a one star review. <laughs> it's, all, um, it's all Charles has. Is yeah. This podcast. Yeah, this, this is this is it for me, man. And um, uh, <laughs> with that being said, I, I hope you got a good chortle out of this. And uh, as always. Go forth and conquer, friends.